Hi. It's time to get back to the Matt Wyatt Show. Live in the studio. Let's go. Hour number two of the show. Off and running with you in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. Staying connected to you because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi. C Spire, customer inspired. Check them out, cspire.com. I'm Matt in the Bureau, Farm Bureau Insurance Studio, Farm Bureau Go! With the home team. Y'all can text me on the country pleasing text line, 885 ESPN. It's a 601 number, 885 ESPN. I need the number itself. It's 885-3776. I got a text from David that says, Hey, Matt and Bill, check out the Sonic Boom on YouTube. It's called A Day with the Boom. I, David, I will check it out. And since you sent me that tip, I'll send this out to you. A little sonic boom to crank up our two. Let's go. Okay, so text me, country please, and text line. Call me on the Divinity phone. Come to the phone in a bit. I have a lot of text to get to. Ben and Jonathan and Denzel and everybody. I'm coming to y'all. Roll your window down, drive around, turn it up to 11, and see if you get any looks. The JSU Sonic Boom in your living room. Kind of curious, David. So, is it like a behind-the-scenes kind of like a vlog, video blog, vlog behind the scenes? Is that what that is on YouTube? A day with the boom. I'm gonna check that out. I don't know anything about it, but I'm curious what it's like. Here we go. All right. Uh, before we get back to the text, let's jump over to the phone line. Divinity Equipment phone. Walter, hanging on line one of the Divinity phone. What's up, Walter? Hey, Matt, I uh, just wanted to tell you I really enjoy your show. I appreciate how fair you are and honest about uh, your commentary and all. But uh, I had a couple of things. Okay. Uh, at the uh, Ole Miss-Southern Miss game uh, last night, uh, when the balk occurred, that was about as obvious as a balk as I can remember. And I was just wondering what your take was while just uh got so heated about uh, that toward the umpires or okay. whatever. Uh, uh, well, well, help me out, Walter. You're going to have to tell me about it. Here's why. I was working last night. I was involved in the call of the Mississippi State baseball game up in Starkville on the SEC Plus thing, so I wasn't able to watch Ole Miss and Southern Miss. I was only able to follow the score. So so tell me again, there was a balk and, and who was it against and who was arguing it? Okay, what had happened, Ole Miss had just tied it up, uh, and uh, Jacob Gonzalez had hit a double to uh, bring the tie and runs in. Mm-hmm. And I think on the throw, he got the third. And uh, I, 
can't remember Zach count, maybe a 2-1 count, uh, something like that, a 2-2 count on the next batter. And Gonzalez come down the line like so many guys do, thinking like he was taking off. Uh-huh. And even though I think the USM kid uh, really shouldn't have been able to see him out of the corner of his eye because I think he was a left-hander, uh, when uh, Gonzalez faked like that and put on the brakes, the USM kid just stopped right in the middle of coming to the plate. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, so everybody there saw it was an obvious fault. And I understand a coach taking up for your player, but, I mean, Scott Barry got real heated, and I just wonder if it was something else hmm. that, you know, maybe, uh, or maybe he just had had a bad day <laughs> leading up to the game. And <laughs> well, and I'm looking at it here. Over. I'm looking at it here. So that would have been that would have been in the bottom of the seventh, I guess, right? Because it looks like Southern Miss was up six to three, going into the bottom of the seventh, and then Ole Miss scored four runs in that bottom of the seventh to actually take a seven to six lead. It looks like so that would have been. So that would so the balk run was that the run that tied the game or the run that gave Ole Miss the lead there in the bottom of the inning? That was the game that put Ole Miss up seven. Okay, to six. Uh, right. The run that put the uh, Ole Miss up seven to six. Okay, I'm gonna go see if I could try to find video of it and and watch it. So in the way you described it, again, having not seen it, the way you described it, the runners on third. He takes aggressively, like goes down the line when the pitcher begins his motion. And you're saying the pitcher was like in the process of fixing to throw the ball and just stopped? Yeah, it looked like to me he was already coming to the plate. Okay. And uh, somehow he caught Gonzalez out of the corner of his eye, and and he stopped. And, I mean, you know, there were even ladies at the game said, well, that's a ball. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm not the most learned individual when it comes to uh, sorting out whether that's a balk or not, but I mean everybody saw it, and yeah. uh, you well, know, then maybe and, it was something Barry, else. Then maybe maybe it was something else that he had a problem with. I don't know. I would have had to have been the yeah. way you describe it. It seems like it would have been pretty obvious. Um, yeah, uh, and I had another quick observation, and and tell me what you think about this. You know, this is the worst fielding team I've ever seen. Uh, a Mike Bianco Rebel team. Uh, that I've ever seen at all like that. Hmm. And uh, in the past or whatever, he has had some of the best shortstops, really starting with Zach Cozart and going through Greg Kessinger, Anthony Servideo, mm-hmm. Errol Robinson, guys like that. Now, Gonzalez is uber talent. There's no denying that. But his defense lacks a lot. And to me, it seems like the shortstop especially on the Bianco teams in the past, has kind of been the uh, the tone setter with the entire defense of those teams in the past. And with Gonzalez not being a, a plus fielder uh, at the shortstop position, it seems like it's filtered through the entire team. And to mm-hmm. me, uh, those shortstops in the past have kind of been like the quarterback uh, on the field uh, where the defense is concerned. And I just want to see if you thought that was a possibility or if I'm completely off in left field. Uh, yeah. I, well, here's one thing I will say is I absolutely do think there's just something about that position, that shortstop position. 
that kind of always has been. But I agree with you in that there's always something about it that that's sort of the leader of your infield. It, it, as that position goes from a reliability standpoint, it does seem to affect everybody else. I, I agree with you that it's sort of like the shortstop here, your defense on the infield. And, you know, you look up on the year, there's Gonzalez at a, at a fielding percentage of 928, which, yeah, I mean, that's where it's sitting right now. Um, fielding percentage of, of 928 with six errors on the year, and I haven't seen all those. I wouldn't know what they are. But you know, you, you want your you want it to be better. I mean, you certainly do uh, want it to be better. The thing yeah. is, you know, and, and he's a what? Do I have it right? He's a three-year starter now at shortstop, and in his third year. No, this is a second. Second year, year? okay. Okay. Year. Well, okay. So, and, and, go ahead. Uh, I just think. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I met the kid. Uh, super great kid, and, and like I said, the talent is. Uh, no question. No question. I think he, I think he just gets a little bit lazy at the position. He he is so good, huh. uh, and, and you know maybe sometimes it's almost like, uh, do you want a five star? or Do you want a three star to come in that's hungry and is going to bust his butt? Yeah. I mean, well, and I will tell know, you this uh, though, you know, to, to sort of kind of put the Walter. Here's the thing: like, yes, Jacob Gonzalez. Talent and ability and upside and everything, it is through the roof. I I think I've always sort of assumed he was a future first-round type prospect. I think I have seen some others back that up. I mean, he's a smooth – He you know, he's a plus runner. He's a left-handed bat at shortstop who hits for power. Um, and, and he didn't have fielding issues last year as a freshman, did he? I mean, I thought he was really good. Yeah, he was pretty good. I mean, not to this, uh, you know, level or whatever. I mean, uh, really, you could kind of just say, well, he's a freshman. He's learning uh, as far as any that he uh, encountered last year. Mm. Now, they weren't as good and as sharp as fielding last year as you expect the Bianco team to be. But, you know, when you've got Doug Nikhazy and Gunnar Hoagland part of the season – and Taylor Broadway on the mound, they make up for a lot of that defense mm-hmm. uh, last year. Yeah. And, so and all. so but, here's the thing. What was that number? Okay, so six errors, I think. What did I tell you he had uh, this year? Uh, well, anyway, the, the fielding. Last year for Gonzalez, his freshman year, this is at the end of the year, he was sitting there with a 933 fielding, position, uh, fielding yeah. percentage and had 15 errors on the year. It was at a 933. And that was last year as a and, freshman. So, yeah, and maybe it's we're just spoiled as Ole Miss fans mm-hmm. because I mean, when you've had Zach Cozart and Gray Kessinger and Errol Robinson and Anthony Ceridio there for a season, Austin Anderson. I mean, I can keep going on down the line. They have had some unbelievable defensive shortstops uh, over the years. Uh, it's almost sort of like a Bianco staple, like some of his. Uh, catchers that he's had through mm-hmm. the years. You're right and, uh, about that. You're right about that now. I mean, and let's see. So the previous was Gray Kessinger, who he was a highlight show at shortstop. And then oh, yeah. prior to him was Errol Robinson, who he was kind of a highlight show. <laughs> and then uh, oh, yeah. who was – I'm trying to go chronological here. Who was the shortstop prior to Errol Robinson? Uh, probably would have been Austin Anderson okay. uh, and uh, – 
yeah. know, uh, he moved over to third when Errol came along because okay. that was the team that got to Omaha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, Zach Cozart was early in Bianco's tenure, mm-hmm. and uh, it just seemed like he kind of became the uh, the one that set the standard. Uh, yeah. Um, you got to go back a little ways to Cozart. Who was? And I'm trying to think. Was Tolbert? If we go back early 2000s, what was the yeah. short side? Was Matt Tolbert? You had Matt Tolbert, and you had a kid by the name of Chad Sturbins that was okay. unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, and those were Bianco's first shortstops. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after he had been there a little while and started getting the recruits in, uh, you know, Cozart would have been the first one that you would right. uh, think of as, as far as uh, going forward or whatever. But You know, uh, here's something else, too. Kid, Go ahead. No, we even had a kid, uh, I think a junior college kid a few years back named uh well, several years back, but a kid named Kevin Moore, and uh, he was a little guy, but he was an unbelievable shortstop, defensive shortstop. Yeah. So, and, and uh, Gonzalez, I, I just think he almost reminds you of the kid that is, uh, you know, uh, sitting in ninth grade, and he's bored because he really should be in the twelfth grade. I mean, he he gets <laughs> bored with the. I mean, that's just the observation I get because you know the talent's there. I mean, and, it's and, there. Uh, and look, I mean, the guy, you know, at the plate, okay, so he's sitting there with a 287 average at the plate, but he's hit seven home runs and driven in 21. So he's what? He's in your top five in a team in RBIs. He's in your, he, he's your, he's number two on your team in home runs, a left handed hitting shortstop. So it's almost like whatever, you know, you might not be getting every now and then at, in the field. You're getting it made up for, and then some with him at the plate at the shortstop position. He's that good. But, you know, this is not an excuse at all, Walter. It's really not. It's maybe just grasping for reasons, but you look, okay, and he's sitting at a 928 fielding this year, already got six errors. Look, when you're on it, when you're playing on a team that in more, way more than half your games, you're leading the other team by double digits. Now, and I know that they've lost some games here recently. Lost last night. So, but but when you look at the overall of the year, Ole Miss's offense has been so good and so explosive. They've had a ton of games where he's out there playing shortstop, and they got a nine-run lead. And and excuse or not, it that may facilitate a young player sort of losing focus a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think there's a very real possibility because. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what what could be going on with him because yeah. I, I don't think it's – I know it's not a matter of uh, can he do it right. and does he have the athleticism. I mean, that goes without question. It's just uh, – yeah. and, and I hope that somehow he can turn it around and that will facilitate itself throughout the team because I think – Again, the shortstop is your quarterback, is the tone setter as far as defense. Yeah. So he had he had an error in the game last night. What was that? Uh, I think it was a bad throw okay. uh, to uh, you know uh, Elko wasn't able to pick a uh, one hopper to I first. Got I got uh, you. Okay. Was it and all? Was it in one of those and, innings where Southern Miss scored runs? Did it help, or was it? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. It was right after Ole Miss had taken the three to nothing lead. Hmm. And, uh, I'm pretty sure it led to at least two unearned runs. I mean, Derek Diamond to me pitched good. He deserved better from his defense. Uh, I mean, he did pitch bad. Uh, he looked pretty good. Yeah. And, uh, 51 pitch- really he threw 51 pitches, 37 strikes, faced 15 batters, struck out three of them, and gave up three runs, two of them earned on five hits, and that was in two and two-thirds. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like he was mowing them down, but, you know, it, it wasn't like he melted down either, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I thought it was a pretty good uh, performance considering how bad he got knocked around at Kentucky, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, hoping he can get his confidence back because I think that's what he's mainly struggling with right now. And then when your defense doesn't help you out, well, that's uh, right. I mean, and look, you know, in a night, look at what Southern Miss is doing though. I mean, you hold Ole Miss in that lineup to six hits in that ball game, and this is in a midweek. It ain't like Southern Miss put their Friday night guy out there. And held Ole Miss to six hits in the ball. Ole Miss had seven runs, but it was on six hits. Um, Southern Miss, Southern Miss has been getting some great outings in the midweek from its pitching staff, and they got another one last. Well, night. I was impressed with the kid they started because he was throwing ninety six, and uh, he did a good job of mixing his pitches, mm-hmm. and uh, and you could tell Matt uh, a difference between the Southern Miss defense and the Ole Miss defense. I mean, not just obvious because of three errors to one, but you could just see that there was more, I don't know what you would call it, it it just seemed to be more tension, more focus where the Southern Miss defense was concerned compared to Ole Miss's. Hmm. How about that? Yeah, let's see, no errors in the game? No, Southern Miss did have one error in the ball game, okay. I'm looking at that last night. Yeah, Southern, yeah, I think it Southern, might have been a throwing error. Uh, okay. Something like that. I couldn't remember. Southern Miss used six different pitchers in a ball game. The kid you're talking about, Stewart, who started it, he, he threw the first two innings and struck out three of the uh, nine batters that he faced, but did give up three runs. And then they go to uh, Colton Best, who comes in and throws three innings, faced ten batters, struck out six of them. <laughs> Fan six of the ten batters he faced. He had a hot hand and and got them on into the later innings, and they kind of pieced it together from there. Yeah, I think uh, I read that Ole Miss in nine innings had four, one, two, three innings where they went three up, three down. How about that? Fourteen uh, strikeouts. You had six different pitchers for Southern Miss that combined for fourteen strikeouts against that Ole Miss lineup. You're not going to see that much this year, I promise you. Um. Well, I hope not. I bet you don't. Well, Walter, I appreciate the phone call, man. Uh, Tough loss for you. Big win for Southern Miss. That's a good Southern Miss team now. Uh, They got a chance to go a long way for sure. Yeah, if they're not hosting, you don't want them in your regional. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's a good point. Well, thanks All right. a lot, man. I, I sure do appreciate it. Yep, thanks for the call. I appreciate the report because, like I said, I didn't get to you know, pay attention to the game. I went and looked. I guess it looks like there was not a video stream of the game last night. Some of y'all may know better than me, but I, I couldn't find one that I could see a replay of it because he was talking the the pickoff deal. Not pickoff, but the balk deal apparently happened in the bottom of the seventh. That was a four-run bottom of the seventh inning for Ole Miss. They went into the inning down 6-3 and then came out of the 
seventh inning with a seven uh, six lead, but then gave up four runs. Southern Miss responded with four runs in the top of the eighth and went it ten to seven. Like I say, they had the ten runs on fourteen hits. Ole Miss with just six hits in that ball game last night against six different pitchers on the mound for Southern Miss, who combined for fourteen strikeouts of Ole Miss hitters. Tell you what, that's a heck of a ball game. A heck of a ball game. Um, and and you know, back on Jacob Gonzalez, look, dude is like uber talented. He's big time prospect. And you know, maybe just going through something. And and maybe it's one of those deals where you look and go of the of the phases of the game, the consistency out there at shortstop is the phase where he can improve the most. But, you know, you give me a left handed Shortstop, his second year in college, and he goes out here and he's slugging 628, and he's got seven home runs, second on his team, to, only to a guy named Elko. Seven doubles, two triples. He's in your top four or five guys in RBIs. Uh, I'll take, I'll take that. We'll, we'll figure out the making good throws part of it. State got a win last night, beat uh, UT Martin handily, 13-2 in seven innings. Last night, State combined for six home runs. It was was bombs away at the dude, including Luke Hancock, who had two home runs. His second one, he hit it about as far out to right field as I've seen one hit in that park. I'm being honest. I mean, it was just killed. But it's, it still didn't leave the park as fast as the one that Cumbus hit. Cumbus and Hunter Hines, those two guys, they are mistake eaters. That's what they – you make a mistake and goodbye. All right. Rolling along in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around. This time we are proudly required to present, present more of the Matt Wyatt Show. We've got another totally awesome episode for you today. All right, all right, all right. This time tomorrow, the Major League Baseball season will have begun. And even though I was mad at him, I was angry, mad, and hurt back when they had the lockout, furious, and I don't know what all, and I decided I'm done. Rob Manfred can... Well, you know all that. You know that kind of stuff. Like, and I, but here's the thing. I, I just can't stay mad at it. Because <laughs> they're back tomorrow. I'm happy about that. I'm happy because I've got steaming, piping hot coffee from High Point Roasters in New Albany in my cup. I just poured it in there. And I got some cool texts to read to you from the Country Pleasing text line. Country Pleasing Sausage on grocery store shelves throughout the Southeast. I get mine at Walmart. Uh, I get it in Kroger. Homecoming Queen made a run to Kroger here today. She came home, put some in the freezer. Jalapeno and cheddar. Make your tongue slap your hat off. Okay. Uh, Ben from Brandon texts the show. He's talking about Mississippi State's game last night. He said, I drove up to the game last night. That exit uh, velocity was 112 miles per hour for Brad Cumbust. He said it was one of the hardest balls hit I've ever seen in my life, maybe 20 feet off the ground. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it was it was just a – because earlier in the game, you know, I guess it was the first inning when Hunter Hines, the freshman, hit that moonshot home run. It was, I guess, back-to-back 
Well, no, no, it wasn't back-to-back. Hancock hit one, and then later in the inning, uh, Hines hit one. The one that Hines hit was a moonshot. It was a mile high and way out. It, it cleared the first row in right field and bounced around in the back of the second row back there. And I asked Bart on the broadcast, I said, what do you think that launch angle was? I mean, I said, whatever it is, it was a lot. He told me it was like 37 or 38 degrees. And put it in perspective, you know what a 45 is. Like 33 degrees are the the turns at Talladega. You ever been there, been close to see it, 33 degrees, see what that is. It's like a car up on its side, you know. Well, this was 37 or 38. Like it's straight up, it seems like, compared to a lot of the other balls hit that you see. Well, the launch angle for Cumba's home run was almost not an angle. <laughs> it was almost zero. I mean, it, in all honesty, what do you think the angle was? Like, seriously, like 11, 12? Just whew, right out to left field. That's getting all the one. Jonathan texts the show. He said, Rooster just called and told you, quote, MSU ain't going to make the World Series this year. It's embarrassing. End quote. He said, folks acting like just because you have the M over S logo on your hat, you roll the ball out there, you ought to go ahead and book your hotel room in Omaha. Yeah, I know. It's a little ridiculous, isn't it, Jonathan? In spite of what some people believe, it's hard to get there. <laughs> the fact that State, up to this point, has been there three straight years and won one of them is pretty doggone incredible. As compared to the rest of the country, it's historic. Need to understand that. Uh, Denzel texted the show. He says, you get pulled out of the crowd at the Masters to play 18 holes. Same everything the players face at the tournament. So same tees, greens, everything. He's going hypothetical here. If you make one birdie, you win $100 million. If you don't, you go to jail for 25 years. Are you taking the challenge? Denzel, no, not no, but no, no way would I risk that. You kidding me? Upside and downside. You're telling me the only upside is money? That ain't enough upside. There ain't enough money in the world that's worth 25 years in jail. kind of question is that, Denzel? I mean, you're telling me, oh, you say, well, $100 million. Okay, fine. Make it $500 million. I don't care what you make it. It's just money. You're telling me all I can win is money in this challenge, but what I could lose is 25 years of my life? There's no comparison. No way. That makes no sense. That's stupid. It also speaks to how little confidence <laughs> Denzel that I would have that I could make a birdie. Now, the par three is about the only chance, I think. You know, maybe a par four, you know. I give you, well, par five, you know, maybe get lucky. I go for it in two. But have you ever been there and see where they tee off from? Like, they got a 500-something yard par four. Like, forget it. Putting those greens? No way. Wouldn't do it. No, sir. Just remember this, White Denzel. Some people are so poor that all they have is money. I didn't make that. I didn't come up with that. I, the first, I think the first person I ever heard say that 
was Matt Buckles at First Baptist Church, Vicksburg. That was recent. I liked it, so I remembered it. Money or jail? Forget it. That's crazy. Hoghead, but I appreciate the question. Hoghead Cheese texted the show. He says, Matt, here's an interesting fact. On this day in 1896, the first modern Olympic Games began. 1896, eh? April the 6th. 1896. Uh, Lonely Eagle texted the show. He says, he said, y'all just go ahead and bring that governor's cup to Hattiesburg. <laughs> like whoever wins the governor's cup trophy between state and Ole Miss just send a trophy to Hattiesburg. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> All right. The country pleasing text line. Here's something for you. The Masters Champions Dinner. If you win the Masters, you come back the next year for the Masters and you serve the other champions dinner. Right? What's on your menu? You get to choose what's on the menu. If I had won the Masters and was at the Masters this year, going to serve the other champions in our green jackets a dinner with a menu of my stuff on it, here's what we'd have. Are you ready? Listening? You paying attention? For appetizers, for appetizers, we would have chicken wings with you know various different flavors and dipping sauce options, chicken wings. And some of them pinwheels that you can get at Country Meat Packers on Highway 49 in Florence, Mississippi. That would be the appetizers. Now, they also do they do an appetizer and a starter. What is the difference? Hey, Bill, what's the difference between an appetizer and a starter? Uh, you got me. Well, they divvy that the up. to me. Yeah, this big time at the Masters. So they do appetizers, then they do starters. So... I don't know the difference, so I don't really know what I would do there. So I don't know. I just, uh, you know, I don't know about that. But the main course, the main course, we would have sausage dogs, country pleasing sausage dogs. You Lots could slaw. with slaw and other stuff you want on it, <laughs> buffet style. You want fixings? Go over there and get it. You could have one with regular smoked sausage. You could have one with jalapeno and cheddar, if that's your deal. You could have one with black pepper and cheddar. You could have one with three cheese flavored sausage. Just pick it out. We got it all here at the Master's Dinner, hosted by Matt. Yeah, we'd have sausage dogs. Uh, if somebody didn't want that, we might have another option, like one of those, uh, some of those uh, stuffed uh, the, the stuffed pork loin with the um, stuff with their kind of like custom mac and cheese might have that too as part of the main deal. And for sides, you know, we'd have to have, like if you're doing a sausage dog, what do your sides have to be? Could you have like 
beans and stuff like that. Beans and chips and all that. <laughs> Simple. Yeah, some good old baked beans would be good. Some baked beans would be good, wouldn't it? What else? Yeah. Macaroni and cheese or... Well, see, that's salad. the thing. Potato salad. Tater salad. Tater even, salad. We'd even put a sign over it in the Masters Champions Dinner, and it would say, Tater Salad. For dessert, I would get some um, Jubilations Cheesecake made right here in West Point, Mississippi. <laughs> All those different flavors of Jubilations Cheesecake. And wash it down with some coffee from High Point Roasters. Say it after me. In New Albany, Mississippi. <clears throat> That's what we'd be having right there. Whew. Calm down. Be still, my heart. <laughs> uh, Don't forget that nanner pudding. Nanner pudding? Yeah. So, last year's champ, Hideki Matsuyama, he fed them for appetizers assorted sushi and chicken skewers. Starters, a miso glazed black cod and dashi broth. Yeah. Main was Miyazaki Wagyu. Wagyu beef ribeye mixed mushrooms and vegetables. And for dessert, Japanese strawberry cheesecake. Bring that on now. Bring that. that. Wagyu beef is expensive. Hey, and he fed it to everybody. Yeah. And we got this depression on. Remember what he said in Oh Brother Where Art Thou? <laughs> we got this depression on. I got to do for me and mine. Y'all stick around. Back to the Matt Wyatt Show. Bump, bump, back with you. A little bit of time left. We'll wrap things up here in just a minute. But time for you to get on in. Call me on the Divinity phone. It's 995 1059. It's a 601 number. 995 1059. Well, RT texted me and he did not like what I was trying to brainstorm here in my menu would be. He called it disgusting. Well, RT, you don't know what you're talking about. He says, Annabeth would kill you. She would never let you make your own menu. You'd be a single guy. And then he called what I said disgusting. I mean, you know, it's, I thought it'd be great. Sausage dogs of all kinds of different kinds. Toppings. Chips, beans. Maybe main course. Yeah. Dessert, cheesecake. you? We'll wash it down with a little coffee. That's what I'd do. Anybody didn't like it could hit the door. Now, I told you what last year's champion Hideki Matsuyama had on the uh, menu for this year's champion's dinner at the Masters. It was assorted sushi, sashimi, and sagiri. <laughs> huh? Yeah, RT's making fun. He, RT is making fun of me. He's basically saying I'm not cultured enough. RT says, "Not the state fair funnel cake, too." Yeah, bring that on. Feed him funnel cake. No, I don't know about funnel cake. That's too messy. We wouldn't have those big state fair turkey legs either. But you know, come on now, chicken wings, the beef pinwheels as an appetizer, <laughs> sausage dogs and beans and chips. 
<laughs> and cheesecake and coffee for dessert? Come on. <clears throat> What's wrong with you, RT? What are you doing? You tiptoeing around in your loafers? Huh? Okay. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama this year for appetizers, it was sushi and chicken skewers. His starter was black cod glazed and something called dashi broth. More power to you. Main was uh, Wagyu beef ribeye with mixed rush mushrooms and vegetables. Sensho Dakon Ponzu. Dessert, Japanese strawberry cheesecake. All right. I'll take it. Dustin Johnson. All right, no, hold on. RT says, it sounds delicious, but 300 guys in green jackets eating sausage dogs? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Because let me tell you something. If I'm standing there in a green jacket, and I've won this event just like everybody else in the room, you know who I'm not worried about impressing? RT? Anybody in the room. Let's just eat and fill our bellies with something good. And if they've never had a country-pleasing sausage dog, they're missing out. And you are too. All right, let's see. Dustin Johnson, 2021 Masters Dinner Champion. Choice of garden salad or Caesar salad to start. See, I bet, hey, Bill, I bet RT's one of these guys who picks his places that he goes on vacation, not because he wants to go, but because he wants to be able to tell somebody he went when he gets back home. <laughs> Probably. Dustin Johnson, 2021. Choice of garden salad or Caesar salad to start. Main course of prime filet mignon with mashed potatoes. Hey, Bill, mashed taters. There you go. And spring vegetables or miso marinated sea bass. Gotta <laughs> have some gravy with taters. Why do we got sea bass in there? Surf and turf? Is that what it is? Peach cobbler and apple pie with vanilla ice cream for dessert. That a boy, Dustin Johnson. Uh, Tiger Woods in 2020. His meal was Augusta roll of tempura shrimp, spicy tuna, avocado, eel sauce. Eel. Tempura flakes, pickled ginger. Wasabi and soy sauce to start. Main course of prime steak and chicken fajitas. Grilled vegetables, refried beans. See, even Tiger Woods had beans, RT. Mexican rice, pico de gallo. Did I say that right? Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. Sour cream, guacamole. What did Fred Sanford say? He was making Swiss cheese and guacamole. He calls it holy moly. <laughs> <laughs> flour tortillas trio of desserts comprising uh, classic fun churros with chocolate sauce and sopapillas I don't know what that is uh, we can go back to Patrick Reed that was after he won at 18 that's who Annabeth and I got to see win uh, over there that was an interesting experience uh, let's see. Any others that are interesting? Let's go back. Sergio Garcia in 2018. International salad inspired by ingredients representing countries of Masters Champions. A main course of traditional Spanish lobster rice dessert. Uh, I don't know. 
I can't, I can't pronounce that. I'm like, Jake, I can't pronunciate what I'm saying there. <laughs> Isn't that the Jake quote? <laughs> That's the Jake Wimberly quote. Coaches are in coaching, well, hopefully for a couple reasons. One, for education and young people. <laughs> How can you not love that guy? Okay, and then this will settle it earlier. This was early in the show, but you know, today you have the Par 3 contest going on. It's actually happening right now live at, I guess, the, the annual Wednesday Par 3 contest. Tiger Woods not playing in it, but he is going to play tomorrow. Um, um, so USA Today asked 33 players uh, over the past who either have or did or will participate in the Masters about the Par 3 contest and whether or not they wanted to win. No players ever won the annual Par 3 contest and gone on to win the green jacket in the same year. The question to the players was, do you want to win the Par 3 contest? Quote, from Andy North, absolutely not. One year I birdied five of my first six holes in the Par 3. And then hit three balls into the water on purpose. My dad was so angry with me, he wanted to strangle me. That was Andy North. Kevin Nah, do you want to win the par three? He says, heck yeah. That's still something to brag about. I'd be telling everyone that I won the Masters, but then in the small print, there would be the par three contest. That's Kevin Nah. Billy Horschel said, I want to win everything there. I would love to win the par three contest and the Masters. Am I superstitious? For sure. But every curse gets broken. I'm a Boston Red Sox fan. So I know all about curses and how they end. Graham McDowell. He said, I was talking with Padraig Harrington about superstitions, and he told me he goes out of his way to break superstitions, and he said he's won the par three contest three times. I said, that was interesting, and then asked him if he'd won the green jacket. He nodded no. And I said, well, maybe they're onto something there with that superstition. Any others? Okay, here it is. You know, our, our assumptions earlier were correct. The question of Tiger Woods, do you want to win the par three? Tiger Woods, quote, no, I don't want to win it. David Duvall, one year I was standing on the ninth tee and I thought about it, but I never tried not to win it. Charlie Hoffman says he would like to win the par three. If I can get my name on anything on that piece of property, it's a great feat. I'd love the accomplishment of winning the par three and then trying to break the hex. Phil Mickelson said, yes, I think it would be fun to break the hex and fun to have that experience of winning the par three contest. That would be a great double. Jordan Spieth said, I'd love to be the only one to win both. Rory McIlroy said, it'd be nice to break that so-called curse. After you win the par three contest, your wedge game is in pretty good shape, so that's a good thing. Zach Johnson says, sure, I'd like to win the par three contest. He said, the year I won the Masters, I finished second in the par three contest, and I missed a putt to get in a playoff. And I'd be in the par three. Now, Nick Faldo, he's different. He says, no, I don't want to win it. I believe in the hex. He says, look at what I did to Raymond Floyd. He had won the par three contest, and then I beat him in the playoff in the Masters. So there you go. There's a few uh, answers there. There's 33 different ones. Lots of different guys have been 
uh, interviewed over the years about that. But it seems kind of split down the middle. But generally what you find is, you know, just based on those, I think the majority of those pro golfers are like, look, I, I want to win. If I'm playing it, I want to win it. And be the first one to win it and the green jacket, break the whole curse thing, you know. It'll happen eventually, won't it? I mean, you live long enough, it'll happen eventually. The curse will be broken at some point. Um, all right, so looking ahead, uh, tomorrow's going to be fun. I will go ahead and sort of give you a teeny tiny heads up. We will, on tomorrow's show, at some point be joined again by Don Williams, a 38-year member of the media contingent at the Masters. He was with us earlier today, and so we'll get him on the show uh, tomorrow again, live from Augusta. That'll be opening round of the Masters. We'll see what the weather's like. Tomorrow is also opening day Major League Baseball, so a good portion of the show, too, will be sort of celebrating that. It's fun every year on opening day to go and back and listen to some clips of old announcers and sort of that, that um, bygone era now, I guess, of when – Baseball was unequivocally America's pastime. But a lot of those voices we grew up with, we'll sort of celebrate it. We'll hear from clips from Harry Carey and Vin Scully and Dizzy Dean and all those things. So tomorrow is going to be a fun show. I'm pretty sure whether you think it's fun or not, I think Bill and I will enjoy it. For Bill, I'm Matt. We'll see you all tomorrow. See you.